Welcome to the Attractions Group Podcast, Episode 9. We're here tonight in this warm August evening. I'm here with my good friend but better enemy, Don Helbig. Don, how you doing today? I'm doing great, Ryan. Uh, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thanks for asking. Hard to believe summer winding down. I mean, we're just a couple weeks away from Labor Day. Oh, I know. Day. Labor Day is coming up. Before you know it, it'll be fall, and then you have people like... I don't know, your daughter posting about how much she loves sweater weather and stuff, and everybody loves summer is going to be hating on her. No offense, Maria. We love you. Oh, man. <laughs> but no, it just flying by, and, you know, that means we're getting, you know, uh, right around the corner of the Halloween season, followed by the, you know, the um, holiday winter events that all the parks do. So we're going to talk about it over the next several weeks. Oh, we are. You know, and it's funny because this time of year, uh, classically, I always kind of got depressed because, you know, you go from this to like maybe something on Labor Day and then you go over to haunt season and then it's done. Then you got no parks unless you live in the South for uh, for about six months. But now with, you know, holiday season coming up, that's really my favorite time of year with the park. So this is actually a time of year I look forward to. But Don, what we got going on today? What do you want to remind our 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 listeners of <laughs> well you're listening to us be sure to follow us on twitter youtube uh our twitter handle is attractions underscore grp so just make sure you follow us there i have a treasure trove of, of amusement park memorabilia i'm going to give away randomly uh to a lucky winner once we reach 100 twitter followers somebody's gonna win one of my items that i have and uh you know it's 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 gonna be a fun twitter account to follow we're wanting to make this more interactive and to do that and the best way to do it is on twitter where we can have some interaction that way and we can uh post your, your questions that you have for us and ryan and i can talk about it there but ryan let's talk about this podcast for a second we had some good news over the weekend uh, we're doing pretty well apple podcast rankings have us in position 13 in a category of entertainment news in the united states and that's a pretty big place yeah i mean i, I imagine there's a lot of podcasts about entertainment news because i don't necessarily think we fit that mold because or we are entertainment news, but we're not talking about Leonardo DiCaprio or anything like that. But it's really cool. Um, we actually, after the first couple episodes, got another email um, saying that we were like number 1,000 something, which I kind of discarded. But we've definitely climbed the ranks. But uh, again, this wouldn't be possible without the support of everybody listening. So we really appreciate everybody who took the time to uh, listen to us babble on for an hour a week. Uh, Don, I appreciate you taking the time to do this podcast with me and throw on your Hawaiian shirt, hook up your mic and, and do all this. Uh, but again, it's fun. We're about fun, right? And it's, that's why we do this. Cause we're it's just fun. in it for a good time. Notice that there are no sponsors yet, but, um, yeah. So, uh, we, we love talking about this, by the way, um, when, uh, if you want to tweet us at attractions underscore GRP. Let us know of any topics that you want us to cover. We're always fishing for ideas. If you have ideas for guests you want us to have on, we're totally open for that. If there's like dying questions that you've had about the industry that you want us to discuss, especially marketing, stuff like that, that's that's where we come into play. Um, but feel free to shoot it at us. We'd, we'd love to, to hear your ideas. But you can follow us on your favorite podcast apps, you know, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and so on, by searching for The Attractions Group Podcast. And then on YouTube, uh, if you search for The Attractions Group Podcast, you can give us a subscribe, which would be great. We want to start going on live on YouTube. Um, when, if we can go on live on YouTube, Don can give away more of the stuff in his garage. And, uh, you know, you can have more memorabilia, and Don's wife can have more free space for her crafts. So, anyway, Don, what are we talking about today? Be I, this is going to be the... Uh, the giveaway sponsored by Don's wife. Let's let's call it that. We've got an official name. 
Yeah, well, let's uh, to Ryan tonight. It's episode number nine. So let's talk about creating that perfect, um, perfect enthusiast event. Now, Don, you have some experience with this, do you not? I do. Um, I've created, you know, several different events, some on a smaller scale, you know, uh, one-offs, and then also a major event that has become annual. It's been around for now seven years. So a lot of experience doing that and, uh, you know, the put on, and it's great to see, you know, when you do these and, uh, you know, for the enthusiast community and, and just how much fun they have. And, uh, you know, so it's, it's definitely, um, you know, it, it's a lot of work though. It's oh, a lot it's, of work. it certainly is. And it's very stressful. I remember, um, you know, when I ran KICentral.com, when you first came into Cedar Fair uh, back in 2007, wasn't it? Um, that was one of the first things that we worked together on was we were in the midst of working on an event uh, back then with uh, Maureen Kaiser, who left the company. Um, and then I remember when we were first, like when it first looked like it was going to be real, like, okay, we're actually going to do this. Because I'd been dreaming of having an event since 2005 when I met in my first event, which was with Coaster Buzz, it was called Beast Buzz at the time. And I remember having a dream that we assumed that thousands were gonna show up. So we booked the Timberwolf. Uh, for those of you who don't know, that's the 10,000 seat concert venue at Kings Island. And uh, we filled up almost the front row. So that was my that was my nightmare. But I will tell you this, um, I remember, I remember uh, that. just losing sleep over both the excitement and uh, you know all that. And then we ended up doing, I think, two more. Cause I know we did, the one in 2007 and then we did one the next year and then we did one for ki central's 10th birthday party which i think was a free event that was more of a not ert or anything but a couple backstage tours and stuff like that so that was always fun no, I, I like promoting them better than doing them honestly i love like teasing them and stuff so fun now, which one of the those events that you did, I remember you showed up at one of them, you're wearing a tie, and it's like 98 degrees outside, and you've got this long sleeve shirt on with a tie. I remember you wearing a tie, too, that day, Don. Well, I had, a re I had to wear a tie. You were you know, guessing the part. So. Well, that was the that was the first event, and that was uh, my co-conspirator for uh, KI Central, Dane Thomas, who still runs the show over there. Um, he had that idea that we should look professional and dress up in a shirt and tie, and that turned, from, like anything with Dane, it turned from a joke into a reality. And um, it was kind of fun because, you, you know, we'd have been to other events with uh, you know, Coaster Buzz and Gawk and Ace and stuff and had a great time, but it was always very casual. So us showing up and like, we're going to take this seriously. I think that the people that came got a kick out of it. Not that we were trying to say like, oh, we've got to go sign some documents after this. But, you know, just just having a little bit of fun with it was was really, really cool. Um, but yeah, that, that, was, that was a really good time. I, I hope KIC can do an event again at some point. But it seems like uh, with the current events, how the parks are doing it, it's you know, it's a little bit easier to have one event for everybody that's huge rather than a bunch of little events. And that just kind of makes sense. But, you know, when you say you're in a marketing department, you know, and you decide you're going to do an event, what's the first step? How do you kick it off? Well, the first step is you have to identify what the goals are. You know, what are you trying to accomplish uh, with this event? You know, is it, uh, you know, you're going to invite you know, all the different clubs or, uh, you know, you're trying to, you know, you have a new, new attraction that you're trying to create more awareness for that. Um, so really, you know, just what is the goal of the event, you know, and then the other thing you have to do is you're going to have to get buy-in uh, from all the different divisions because you can have the idea, you can create an itinerary, but, uh, you know, your operations department has to be 
on board and as excited as you are about it. Your food and beverage team has to be on board and as excited as you are about it. Um, you know, your, your safety and security teams have to be on board. Maintenance has to definitely be on board because uh, that means they got to get there early in the morning to have these rides open if you're going to do uh, exclusive ride time in the morning to, to kind of kick off the event. Uh, so they have to be involved. Just really every touch point at the park, you know, merchandise, everybody has to be, you know, on board and very excited about it uh, because that's going to create the experience. You know, you, you like, and you can make the itinerary, but, uh, you know, if nobody around the park's excited about it, and you know, it's just not going to be a great event. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, so you mentioned getting food involved in merchandise and security and maintenance. Uh, what are some of the ways that you can, that you can get them riled up and excited about it? Like, like I imagine like, oh, like a, to, to softball one, I imagine, you know, when we talk about like food, especially, um, it would be like, you know, this is a good opportunity to showcase what you've got going on. What about like merchandise, maintenance, rides, so on? Well, I mean, it's the rides, you know, that's the thing that uh, you're going to showcase those definitely with the, you know, the lineup that you put out, out there. Uh, if you have new shows, you're going to you know be highlighting those and promoting those. Uh, you know, you're sending however many people come to your event, you're sending out sales reps onto the street right after that event or just talking about your event to their workers neighbors everything like that about your park uh you know so it's it's really an opportunity um you know for all divisions at a park all departments um to shine and and show uh you know that uh you know there's there's a reason to come to this park and it's not just about the rides but no matter where you go around the park you know everything is just so much fun for everybody to to, to experience and uh, you know, you get the merchandise wise, we're talking about that, just even the design of a T-shirt or something, you know, they they're involved with that piece of it. So, um, you know, it's a chance to really just, um, you know, showcase everything your park has to offer from the entry experience to the end of the night. So did you did you attend many events when you before you were in the industry? And if so, like I did, how, did, how does that affect like when you develop things like Coaster Stock, Ride Warrior, Coaster Weekend, KS Central Day, Ace Coaster Con, and so on? Well, I drew from those experiences. I went to a lot of events, um, you know, in the 80s and 90s, uh, the American Coaster Enthusiast, you know, their uh, national summer summer convention. That's their big time event, you know, so they had, uh, you know, those in places like Texas and Virginia, you know, so I was doing those. Uh, uh, Coaster Mania at Cedar Point, uh, Holiday World, you know, their annual event. You know, so I was doing that one. I was doing the, the smaller scale ones, you know, the beast bashes and different things that, uh, you know, uh, the American Coaster Enthusiasts would put on. So uh, uh, spring conferences, you know, so I was a lot of these different events, uh, you know, throughout the 80s and, and the 90s. And, uh, you know, so I drew from that experience, you know, made a list of the things that I liked about those events, the things I didn't like about those events. Uh, but I also involved the people who attend these events and I asked them the same question kind of question you know that i was asking myself when you go to an event what's your favorite part about it what's your least favorite part about it if we were to do one at this park you know what would you want so you're taking that feedback as well so uh you know every park has regular guests that are the, the enthusiast and that and you know you would want to pick 20 to 25 and let them be your panel uh throw things out at them before uh, you put this event together so you're getting the uh, their feedback as well uh you know you talk about coaster stock that was you know almost two seasons in the making before we actually launched that event uh, because I wanted to make sure that, you know, if we did this, it was going to be sustainable and uh, something that, uh, 
you know, the enthusiast community was going to want to do, and they were going to do want to do it annually. Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, uh, coaster stock especially has been, um, you know, very well received. Uh, I, I've, you know, I you go on over Twitter. Now, I haven't been to coaster stock in a couple of years. I have to admit, I I've, I went to the first three or four, um, but it seems like it's one of the events that people are like, it's my favorite time of year and stuff. So obviously, you have a very successful program. Um, so the name coaster stock, there's got to be a story behind it. What, what's the story behind a name, and what what's what's in a name for a coaster event? Is it that important? Well, I, I think it is. I mean, you're going to have it's that brand awareness for it, you know, a brand identity when you're talking about an event at your park. So have something that, uh, you know, is going to be sustainable. It's going to be something that's recognizable. Uh, it's going to be something that kind of tells what that event is about. Uh, you know, you might name it after a ride you have. You know, it can be themed after that. Um, it can be themed after the location that you're at. You know, maybe your, your, your city surrounding you know neighborhoods and that's known for something you can you know anything that ties in you know but just something that's going to be sustainable uh when it came to coaster stock uh my vision for it wasn't you know there was going to be the exclusive ride time and you know the behind the scene tours and those kind of things that uh you know the, the enthusiasts who attend these events you know they, they've come to expect but what, what i wanted out of of this was i wanted it to be a place where um enthusiasts from you know around the country you know canada uh you know outside the you know north america you know that were, were coming uh to the park uh you know everybody coming together as one you know so a gathering of people and uh you know back in the 60s where it was woodstock you know whatever they called it uh you know was was a gathering of people so i thought coaster stock a gathering of people so it, that's kind of where that name uh was derived from was just having a, what I wanted the vision to be was, you know, just a gathering of people, like-minded people, you know, coming to share, uh, you know, their enjoyment of, of the amusement industry. No, it's funny because I remember uh, when you were developing Coaster Stock, when it was, it was no secret that, you know, the park was planning on doing an event. Um, I want to say, what was the first year of Coaster Stock? 2015. Okay, so 2015 was the first year of Coaster Stock. So that was after, after Banshee. I believe you did something mm -hmm. else in 2014. Did you have like there Coaster was Con like or something? Spring, there was like a spring. Yeah, it was like a spring conference that year. From I think Ace had their spring conference. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because I remembered that you were pretty booked as far as like the events were concerned. So 2015, you're going into have an event. I remember we were throwing around ideas for the name of the event uh, early on. This might have been late 2014, actually. And um, yeah, you know, I think you actually came up with the name Coaster Stock. You know, named after Woodstock, obviously, but. I remember pitching the idea of having like a guitar and then having Woodstock, the, <laughs> the character on the end, but yeah, probably yeah. licensing and stuff like that. That would have been really cool. But um, yeah, it's funny because when we talk about names, uh, the, the event that I created, the KI Central, the event was the simplest possible name, but I thought it, I still to this day think it was very appropriate because it was KI Central, the website, KI Central, the social media, and then KI Central, the in-person event. So you know, it's Star Trek, the motion picture, you know, that sort of thing. All right. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, events that have been around a long time, you know, that uh, you look around the industry, Cedar Point, Holiday World, uh, Dollywood, they've all got these events that take place annually. And, uh, you know, that, that name is recognizable. So it's not something you, you want to change year after year. You want to have a name and build upon it. 
Yeah, I mean, you. I imagine you wouldn't want to change it with the times necessarily because you want to have that reputation. Uh, speaking of recognizable names, so throughout the the eighties and the nineties, you had Ace, the American coaster enthusiast, right? Nowadays, we've got Ace, we've got Gawk, we've got uh, Coaster Crew, we've got Theme Park Review, and so on. All these are clubs, and they're all they have thousands of members. How does that play into a factor uh, when creating an event? Do you do? How do you determine who to invite? Um, who's on the list, who, who's, who's involved. I mean, where, where do you draw that cutoff? Because I could create a club right now, which is the two of us, but there's ACE with 10,000 members, you know, where, where, where do you, where between the two, do you, do you, do you draw that line? Well, I think if you're looking to create a coaster event, there's not a right or a wrong way to do it. Um, it's about, you know, who do you have relationships with yourself? Who does the park have relationships with? Um, you know, obviously ACE being, you know, the largest enthusiast group on the planet, uh, you know, you're definitely going to have them on the list. Uh, but then you have to look at the other things. You, you What you don't want to have is all these different pop-up clubs, you know, that people will join them because, you know, it's it's less expensive maybe than ACE or Great Ohio Coaster Club. And, uh, you know, so they join that thinking that they're going to be able to go to media day events and events like, you know, uh, you know, Coaster Mania or, uh, coaster stock or you know one of the other ones out there that that's the reason they join it so they're not joining it because they want to be part of a club they're doing it because it's an easy way to get into these events so you kind of want to avoid um, you know that as much as you can and have the more um, the, the clubs that have been around the longest have the most credibility within the industry and uh, you know that's why you're going to see the american coaster enthusiast great ohio code club on just about everybody's list and then you have, have the other ones uh, you know uh, you know, more regional type um, type clubs that are out there. Uh, you know, the the there's the Florida group. You know, the Coaster Club in Florida. Um, great Britain. There's a roller coaster. Yeah, Great Britain. So there's things like that. You know, they have Great Britain, great credibility. So that's a big thing too. Is you, you know, kind of look at uh, what it would be like if you're trying to uh, qualify an influencer. You know, so so you want to look at uh, you know what the club is. You know, uh, what how long have they been around? Uh, what kind of credibility do they have uh, within the industry and uh, you know kind of kind of use that as kind of a guide for it but you know there's there's no right or wrong way to do it um, you know and you don't have to necessarily make it a you know what you can invite the public if you want i mean it's up to you what you want to do um, at your event but um, you just want to make sure no matter who is on the list that uh, you know you, you're just going to have the right people there and it's going to be a great time for everybody yeah, I mean, I, I agree. You, you don't want to have too many. You don't want to have too few. I, I, I mean, I imagine it's probably not an easy decision. I mean, nowadays we've standardized with five or it's six, not. you know, five or six clubs, Ace, Gawk, Coaster, but yeah, yeah, the, the ones that are invited to Coaster. Yeah, Coaster exactly. Crew. Exactly. You know, so um, I, I could see where people being left out could damage a relationship. And at the same time, inviting too many people could destroy the event. You know, I, I, I could see where that's not, that's not the best situation. Um, how are you know, park sponsored events different than say like coaster con with the American coaster enthusiasts and so on. It's who's running the event, you know, the park, it's your itinerary. It's your, you know, you're, you're creating all aspects of it. Uh, when it's a, uh, national event like ace coming in and they're going to have their summer conference or spring conference there um 
you know, they're doing, they're handling all the ticket sales. They're handling all those other aspects. But uh, when it's the park doing it, you're handling the ticket selling, you know, the buying, the, distributing the t-shirts and the lanyards and all those other kind of things. So uh, when it's not your event and it's a club event, you know, it, it puts everything else on them to handle all the logistics of it in terms of distributing all the materials and collecting the the money for the tickets and and all those kind of things so that's really the biggest difference i mean the activities are pretty much you know very similar i mean you're going to have ert you're going to have you know behind the scene tours those kind of things but it's just those are pieces you know with the materials and the ticket distribution uh setting ticket prices all those kind of things it's going to be separate depending on which side's doing it so i'm guessing with the um you know with, with the the ones that are by ace and so on it's kind of a this is a cost per person, and then they put their end margin on top, or or something along those lines. So that's how the whatever whatever they whatever they would do, you know, they would reach out to a park, say we want to bring the conference there, mm -hmm. you know, we want to be there on this day or these days. Yeah, um, you know, what can we do for you know rides and that? What kind of itinerary can we do? Uh, but the park has to, you know, there's going to be, you know, the park's going to come back and say it's going to cost this much, mm -hmm. you know, on the tickets. It's going to cost this much for the food. So it's like any other group coming to your park uh, you know it's not any different than anything else other than they're going to get a lot more of those activities during the day so let me ask you this uh, this has always been something that's kind of burning um it seems like with especially with ace coaster con it always happens to be at a park that happened to get a new coaster that year is that is that do they do that that's based cool. on like i mean because generally speaking enthusiasts kind of know when they're coming do they do it based on that or does the park like hey you might want to have it here in 2023 no, not necessarily. I mean, they do move around, um, you know, to different places on that. I think sometimes it just it's coincidence that things work out that way a lot. Um, you know, they're planning these events two, three years down the road sometimes, you know, so they already know where they're going to be in 2023. Uh, it takes, you know, you got to make sure that you're getting the, you know, whatever the catering venues are and those kind of things, getting those booked, you know, depending on what that group size might be under you know 900 people uh so you're you're doing that a few years down the road and a lot of things can change so it's sometimes it's it's just coincidence that something happened to um you know open at that time you don't it's not a short until august and then decide where you're going next year they already know yeah i've seen them announce um i think at each coaster con they announce where the next one's going to be or maybe even two out or something like that so um yeah and what they try to do too is they try to have you know when you're doing uh, the summer con you try to have um two or three different parks as part of that that event so you might be at one park for two days another park for one day and another for one day um so you're, you're trying to get something that's in driving distance all of them so like two or three hours away from each other uh you know so i remember doing one in texas you know and and we were uh you know there and then there was there was uh astroworld in houston you know which was you know three hours away or whatever it was from six flags over texas and uh, then there was one other, you know, place outside of Texas that we, you know, went to as part of the, uh, you know, the third stop on that, that uh, con. So you're trying to do something. That's why it's not always just, you know, at, at a, you would think it's easy to do one at a park, but you know, what else is around it? So you're trying, trying to, to group things together that are uh, within driving distance of each other uh, to make it you know, really worthwhile for a lot of the enthusiasts are going to travel from all over the country. Uh, you know, and also internationally to, to come to these events. So you got to make it worth their time. Yeah, I agree. Do, do parks, I mean, obviously inside the chain they would, but outside of the chain, do they, do they coordinate with each other? Or is that up to the, the clubs to do that? Uh, the clubs normally do the initial contact, but yeah, I mean, you, you know, everybody's trying to make it the best event possible and 
you're going to, you know, what are you guys doing? And those kind of things. You'll talk, you'll communicate. Yeah. I mean, the industry is so tight knit that I, I imagine that, you know, it, it would not be a surprise as to what's happening at Kennywood if Cedar Point is co-hosting the event. As I think it went, I'm not an ACE member, full disclosure, but I, I believe that CoasterCon was Cedar Point, Kennywood, and then a third park, maybe Hershey. I can't, I can't remember. All right. Yeah, but again, it's grouping them together, you know, to where you can do it like that. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's a mini coaster trip, you know, the whole drive is six hours or so, which spreads out the parks enough that, you know, they can make their own money. Um, so what's the best way to go by, like, marketing uh, an enthusiast event? I mean, because we're talking about a specific demographic here. We're talking about members of a club. So you have that channel. What are other channels that you can use to, to reach the people and to sell as many tickets as you want for, for these events? Yeah, well, it goes back to what we started at the beginning of our conversation, that you do want to have those relationships with the different clubs. Uh, so when you are going to do these events, you know, you let them know what the date is, what the ticket prices are, when they're going to go on sale. Um, but the other channel, you know, you, you can put it on your own channels, you know, with, with blogs and your put on uh, social media, you know, Facebook. Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and say you're doing that, but you're going to reach just a small percentage of your audience that way, because uh, majority that are going to see that content, they're not a member of one of these clubs. While they'd love to come to the event, you know, they're not going to be eligible because they're not one of those uh, club members. Uh, so really, I I would you know recommend if you're going to going to do an event like this, is a Facebook group, and that is the best way to communicate communicate uh, when tickets are going to go on sale, if there's any um, changes to the itinerary. Uh, you know, it's, it's a great place for uh, the people that have, you know, that have bought a ticket and are coming to the event. And if it's, uh, you know, your second, third, fourth years and, you know, so on with it, a place for, uh, you know, people to share their experiences at the event. Um, so really, I think the best way to communicate is by creating one of those so Facebook, like a Facebook group, um, you know, or something like that to where it's just one one place and it's all about the event yeah i mean I, I could certainly see the benefit in that now one thing i've noticed that some parks do and i hate this is when they put it on their public calendar because that's basically giving you a flyer for a party you're not invited to in some cases um but i, I guess to each their yeah, own but you, know? but you want to make it like you know it's it's uh you know you want to the first year it's tough because nobody knows what to expect mm -hmm. but you know as the years go on you know you build anticipation you know, use that Facebook group to say, hey, tickets are going to go on sale on this date. You know, uh, just like if you're, you know, say you're a baseball fan or something, you know, you look forward to when those opening day tickets go on sale. Uh, so it's the same thing for the coaster enthusiasts when they have these events that they do annually. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they, they want to know when tickets go on sale and the tickets normally go pretty fast. Uh, so uh, like a Facebook group is the perfect place to do those countdowns, like, you know, ticket sales, you know, this Friday, you know, 10 a.m., those kind of things. So, um, you know, you want to make sure that, you know, you just don't put it on sale and nobody knows about it. You have to make some noise with that, but you have to make that noise within within the communities. You know, reach out to the different clubs, Ace, Great Ohio Coaster Club, um, you know, Coaster Crew, you know, all those different ones out there and let them know. Hey, just FYI, tickets are going to go on sale this date. Yeah, I suppose they could put in their newsletter on or on their social media or someone because that's going to directly address the people that are members of the club. Now, let me ask you this. This seems to be the million-dollar question because it seems like a lot of parks went in a lot of different directions with this this year. Do you put a cap on it? There's, um, you know, you have to look at your park. You have to look at what your, your catering facility can hold. 
Uh, if you're going to have guest speakers and you're going to have those in a theater, um, you know, what is the capacity there? How many are going to be open, uh, you know, for the morning and the night, exclusive ride time sessions? Um, what's going to provide the most value? You know, if you're only going to have three or four rides open, you know, you only want to have this many people there. If you're going to have the whole park or people there, but then it goes back again to what your capacity, you know, is for those, um, you know, catering facilities and, and the guest speakers in the theaters. What you don't want to do is you don't want to split people up to where they're, you know, half the group's eating lunch at this time, then the other group has lunch at that time, half the people are doing uh, behind the scenes tour at this time, the other half's doing it, you know, an hour after they're done. You want to try to create it to where everybody's doing the same things at the same time. Uh, so to do that, you know, it's preferred that you do put a capacity on your event. So you're not exceeding, you know, the, the, the number of seats you have available, you know, for lunch and dinners and, uh, you know, that people can't get into the theater. So you want to, you really have to use those kind of numbers that you have available in terms of what your capacity at the park is. And that's where you kind of draw your, your number. Yeah. It's so unfortunate that there's uh, a damned if you do situation, because I know that um, there, there are a lot of events nowadays that sell a lot of tickets and a lot of the feedback is, you know, I, we had ERT on this ride. I only got to ride it once because I waited an hour. What's the point? But at the same time, had they not sold that many tickets, you may not have been able to go. So you have to choose. You're right. I mean, you have to choose where you're targeting this thing. Do you want to have as you do, but, but you know, if it's not an, um, especially if it's not an ERT based event, or if you're going to do a bunch of rides, which you're starting to rack up the cost at that point. But, um, if it's more about the presentations and stuff, I imagine you could do more people. I mean, I don't know. I, I suppose you, as you said, you, you probably look at your, your, your criteria, your agenda for the event, and you kind of make that determination. Um, for the events yeah. that you've done, are the, are the capacities typically the same or is it, is it based on each? Event? It's no, it has uh, the same capacity. And, you know, what you also want to look at too is the, experience because if they're going to come back you a great experience for them and you want to provide value uh, a lot of these uh, you know enthusiasts that come to these events you know they're pass holders to the parks that are holding the events uh, so if you're creating one there's you know a lot of good percentage is going to have a season pass to your park um, so what you want to do is because they're going to have to pay you know on top of that it's not a freebie because they're a season pass holder there's a you know it's, it's a ticketed event uh, but you want to make sure everybody has a great time. And, and if you're drawing from, you know, internationally, you want to make sure that that value is there. And, you know, you mentioned the ERT, we might only get one ride. Well, you know, if you cap it at a certain number, then, you know, they're guaranteed if they want to ride five or six times, seven times, 10 times on the same coaster at night, you know, or in the morning, those opportunities are going to be there for them. So, so um, it's better to, to lean toward, you know, let's have the best experience possible that we can deliver uh, for the attendees, then how many people, you know, can we sell tickets to? So what goes into the uh, building the itinerary? It seems like that would be something that you have to work on months in advance, not only getting the other departments on board, but trying to build one different from year to year. Do you think that's important? What are your thoughts on that? Well, yeah, you need to change it up a little bit where you can. I mean, but, uh, you know, they all want to ride the major rides. They want the best night rides. Uh, you know, they want the newest attraction in there. Um so you want to make sure that, uh, you know, you have, um, you know, the, the best rides as part of those, um, you know, early morning and late night, um, you know, rides. 
you also uh, you want to be able to provide opportunities and experiences that you can't get any other time that you're going to the park you know so you have a behind the scenes tour uh, you know, of some of your roller coasters, you have uh, guest speakers, you know, whether it's from the park or with the industry or, uh, you know, maybe it's, um, you know, somebody that uh, designed, you know, you just open, you know, just all of the things that a guest does not get, an enthusiast does not get on their just daily, you know, visits to a park. Uh, you want to make sure that's part of the, the itinerary. So, again, that, that, you know, they're getting to see a park in a way that they normally don't get to yeah i mean uh obviously you know having guest speakers and stuff uh, it's it's so niche you know because when the average consumer really doesn't care who designs a ride they want to know that it's fun and they want to know it's safe and they'll take your word for that but for people like you or i or you know members of the american coaster enthusiasts and so on um, I want to know every little thought that went through their head as they were ratcheting the bolts. And <laughs> I suppose it's kind of fun to kind of cater to that. Um, yeah. so yeah, you, but that's what you want to do is just provide some experiences that they're not going to be able to get, you know, at the time that they're at the park, you know, they love the behind the scenes tours. The enthusiasts do, they love hearing from guest speakers, um, you know, just add that during the day, you know, games, you know, have some things like that, uh, uh you know, scavenger hunts, um, you know, trivias, you know, just different types of things that you can do uh, throughout the day, but as interactive as possible. Yeah. The scavenger hunts are, I mean, I imagine if I went to a park that I don't normally go to, they probably wouldn't be something I'd be interested in, but I know at my home park, uh, scavenger hunts are a lot of fun because testing your knowledge for a place that you're very familiar with is oddly satisfying, you know? Yeah. Um, and the other thing you want to do too is, you know, everybody's got their phone today, right? So everybody, we talked about this last week, everybody's an influencer. Uh, so you want to do different things too, where you're uh, giving out, uh, you know, maybe trophies and or prizes for, you know, the, the person that, uh, you know, covered the event the best on their social media channels or, uh, you know, somebody that had, the, you know, a, a TikTok award, whatever it might be, but just find ways that you can make it interactive. And, and uh, you know, that way, you know, when it's all over social media about your event, you know, those days you're having it uh, when, when when you have a little bit of a, a competition there for these prizes. Yeah, it's kind of funny because I think uh, somebody put it best on um, on Facebook this year and they're like, oh, it's Coaster Stock Day. That means 500 people are going to become social media experts all of a sudden uh, because they're probably <laughs> seeing it all over their feed. But, you know, when, you know, tying it back to like what we've told about social media for, you know, the past two months or three months that we've been doing this podcast, you know, um, I think that people are far more interested in your experience and how much fun you're having and what you're doing rather than the beast is 7,359 plus three feet. Now, you know, you know, like you don't drop a press release. Nobody cares, you know, but, um, yeah. So what's, what's in it for the parks besides selling tickets? We've touched on social media a little bit. Obviously that's going to be heavy, but, like, what does the park get out of this? Because it seems like a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of planning goes into it. What comes out for the parks? Well, I think it's relation uh, relationship building with your guests, uh, you know, with those different uh, coaching communities. So, uh, you know, that uh, uh, that's, that's a big part of it, it's just building those relationships. But also social media today, there's going to be that awareness that, uh, you know, is being created out there because all of their friends, all their followers are seeing everything that they're doing that day, all these rides that they're riding that they're having so much fun on. 
and you know that their friends and neighbors and coworkers that follow them, you know, maybe they want to come to your park and uh, you know experience those as well. So, um, you know, it, it's a lot of fun for the enthusiasts, but uh, you know, for the parks, it's just about building meetups, and not necessarily with the clubs. Even I mean, it's each person is an individual, you know, and you see these people after the event at the park. Um, you know, so you just want to do that with it. You know, it's, it's just, uh, you know, making people feel like it's, it's, uh, it's the place they want to be because they had so much fun at this event. Yeah. It's all about the camaraderie. It's not about the ERT. It's not about the guest speakers. It's about the friends that you make for, for a lifetime. So speaking of which, so a park generally has the same rides year over year. They add some, they remove some. It's generally the same. How do you get enthusiasts to want to come back every year if you have the event every well, year? Well, you, you just hit on it, Ryan. It's the camaraderie. Uh, you want to make it to where, you know, they're just as excited the next year to see all the friends that they met at this event. Uh, and then by, you know, the third year, the fourth year, it becomes one big family reunion for the coaster enthusiast community. You know, it's it's the one thing that they look forward to, uh, you know, as soon as the um, date goes on the calendar, you know, it's a countdown to, to when we're going to have the this event again and I'm going to be able to see all my friends and, you know, you can have days and, you know, weather's always a fear and it can rain for two or three hours and, you know, it delays some of the, maybe the exclusive ride time or some of the activities you want to do in the day, but you find that uh, nobody cares, you know, nobody minds because they're just having so much fun, uh, you know, talking with each other, sharing stories of the different parks they've been to, their favorite rides. You know, so it's just those like-minded people coming together as one, and it's just one big family reunion. And that's what, uh, you know, that that's what's going to really, you know, make an event sustainable, something that people want to repeat year after year. Because, like you said, the rides are going to be the same, you know, year after year. So you're not always going to have a big new coaster, you know, something to show off. So uh, you have to build it on something else, and that's the camaraderie part of it. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I mean, it goes beyond camaraderie. You know, enthusiasts become like family uh, to a lot of people. But I know several that I, I I can think of a couple right now that met at Coaster Stock and are married now. Yeah, you know? that is that is 100 percent true, too. There are so many stories, uh, not only at like the Coaster Stock event, but throughout the industry where, uh, you know, someone met their spouse, you know, at at an event, uh, you know, the the ace you know, summer conference that I went to in 1992, uh, a guy that was, uh, he was in my wedding party. He was from Milwaukee. I'd met him in line riding the racer mm -hmm. and, you know, became good friends. So he's in my wedding party, but he met his wife at that, at that conference. Oh, sure. And, I mean, uh, I met my, I met my they girlfriend. Now live in good happens. I met my girlfriend at a park, you know, like-minded people doing like-minded things. That's how they get along. I believe you bet, met your wife at a hockey game, right? I did. Yeah. See, I mean, it's uh, so all you single uh, lads and ladies out there, if you want to go pick up, uh, if you want to stretch your feathers, <laughs> what a great place to do it. And, you know, in all seriousness, though, you know, if you're it, it's it's very difficult to if you, that's not your scene to go out to a bar and to, to find a woman or find a man or whatever your taste is, you know, um, because what do you have in common with them except for where you are right now? But, you know, at an enthusiast event, if you're really into coasters, the person's there for a reason. It's because they're also really into coasters. So, you know, hopefully the compatibility's there. So the best of luck to everybody on that, because I just turned this conversation really awkward. So, <laughs> But, you know, really, Ryan, I mean, when you're talking about these coaster events, you know, the people that, uh, you know, they start attending them, you know, they, they, they 
friends every year and they become you know lifelong friends from that point on and and that, that's the great thing about it when you're on the park side just seeing how much fun everybody's having and and all these friendships being developed you know that's really what Isn't it's all that about. what the parks are all about too I mean, it's so it goes so far beyond just the event itself. I mean, about creating memories and you know solidifying friendships and stuff. And you know, I, I it does. It, you know, so if you know if you have an event, I mean, like some of the parks are doing monster truck events. That's going to draw people who are into monster trucks. So if you draw people that are into monster trucks, you're into monster trucks, and you just meet people that are like minded, and those are friends for life potentially. All right, enough about monster trucks, Don. That's all you ever want to talk about. It's time to move on to the next segment of our show, and that is... Oh, it's pick six. It's a part of the show when we talk about the latest news information, rumors, patents, or anything that's on our mind about the industry in the form of uh, six objects. That's the worst way I could possibly describe this segment. Don, why don't you take number one? Well, Knott's Berry Farm, they've showed off the new Montezuma Revenge trains. It's a little bit different than uh, what they were before. A little um, you know, over-the-shoulder harness on these. Uh, but, you know, when you're looking at that ride, there's not a lot of, um, you know, intense, you know, um, sharp turns, that kind of thing. So, you know, that'll work. So there's not a lot of concern there. But, uh, you know, it looks good. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, so... The, the trains are made by Premier Rides, which is interesting because the ride is Schwarzkopf, obviously. Um, but those are going to be comfort collars. It's very similar to the Skyrocket, too. Personally, I never really had a problem with the comfort collars. Um, I think that they're a little weird to latch once you sit in the, the seat. I know that they, they do affect capacity a little bit, but I've never had discomfort from them. Don, do you have any experience with the comfort collars? Yeah, I mean, same thing with you, Ryan. I mean, it doesn't uh, doesn't bother me at all, and you know they're there for a reason. And um, but I, I think it looks really good, and the layout, the design of this ride, you know, it, it doesn't lend itself where that becomes a problem that they're that they're over the shoulder. I, I agree. You know, there are rides, there are rides, you know, with a lot of shifting and a lot of you know mm -hmm. they're they're a little bit uh, you know rough, and you know then it, yeah, it does hit you a little bit hard. But uh, you know that's not going to happen here. I think that. Uh, this is going to be a great experience. I do too. Um, and honestly, I don't think the the comfort, I mean, I rode the, um, the Skyrocket 2 Tampesto at Busch Gardens Williamsburg a couple months ago, and I, I didn't find any discomfort in them whatsoever. Um, but yeah, they're saying that the ride is going to, it's going to have new trains. It's going to have a new theme. It's Montezuma's Revenge now. Um, right. Montezuma. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to guess that they're replacing the flywheel system with some sort of linear synchronous since they got new trains. Have you heard anything about that? Uh, that'd be a guessing game, you know, like you just said, uh, yeah. on that. I haven't heard anything further. Well, my, my thought with that, and do not take this as official word of, of course, but, um, they removed all the sections of track except for the ends of the track. So my thought is that they replace the sections that need to have a launch mechanism. I don't know. I guess we'll have to find out. It's going to be opening uh, in, what, spring of next year, spring of 2023. So that's going to be really exciting. Uh, I know that there was a lot of fear that that ride would be removed. So I'm glad it's not. Uh, I'm glad that it's going to be, uh, you know, there to entertain us for, for years to come, especially old Schwarzkopf's, which are becoming more and more rare. So I always love when uh, they breathe new life into existing attractions rather than removing them. Right. And if you stay to the end of the podcast, you'll understand why there's significance to what Don's saying. Anyway, story number two. 
We're staying at Knott's Berry Farm. They're adding two new haunted houses this year. Now, Knott's has had uh, Knott's Scary Farm. Is it 49 years now? Is that what I read? Yeah, it's going to be 49 years. They're the the granddaddy of the Halloween events. You know, they were the first ones. Uh, if you've ever been out there for this event, you know it's phenomenal. Uh, they do just, I mean, just the, the mazes, the whole atmosphere. Uh, you, you know, you've got a lot of really, really good scare actors that have been doing it for years uh you know it's just uh uh you know i, I have not heard anyone that's gone to to uh, not a scary farm we'll call it here in and not have time i i completely agree it's very legendary it's very original uh the two mazes are bloodline 1842 that's the first one it's armed with the latest uh, Bellaton weaponry, you can choose to heed the call to action and embark on a perilous journey with the immortal Daybreakers. Travel through the busy city streets of Valandia while hunting the bloodthirsty Vampira. I'm, I'm pronouncing these names. They're all made up names as well as I can, so I do apologize. In <laughs> an all-out war. Bring light into the darkness and survive the vicious onslaught of vampires and bring honor to your order. So that sounds super cool. Um, you know, if you check out uh, Knott's website, you can see some graphics and stuff for him. Um, but there is a second maze that's coming. It's uh, the the Grimior. Is that how, how would you? I would pronounce it that way. Grimior. Now I'm assuming that's based on Grim. But we're probably wrong, but that's how I would pronounce right. it. Right. It's probably based on Grimm's Tales. But uh, turn the page and enter the world of an ancient relic whose dark stories exist purely to turn your greatest nightmares into a reality enter the world of a mysterious spell book and escape the demonic creatures inside to be eternally trapped within that sounds like it's just a grand old time uh, the picture for those of you who are uh, you know listening to the audio only podcast is a bunch of people reading a book and they look kind of scared you know they're sitting around a campfire reading a book like the um you know like scary not scary stories to tell in the dark are you afraid of the dark on nickelodeon the Midnight Society. They're sitting around a fire reading a book and it looks like something's happening. So that looks so exciting. I really want to make it out to Not Scary Farm uh, sooner than later to, to check out their event. But Yeah, just such a phenomenal job that uh, they do with the storytelling of their, their haunted attractions. Uh, just the, the makeup, you know, that the, the scare actors have. Uh, it, it's really, like I said, the granddaddy of, of the Halloween events out there. Yeah, the, the original one. All right, Ryan, number three, SeaWorld Orlando is serving up free ice cream this month. It's in the Wild Arctic Plaza. That's uh, part of their Electric Ocean event that they have this month. Um, yeah, sounds like a lot of fun, uh, but it's while supplies last every day. Yeah, uh, the Electric Ocean, uh, I saw that show uh, on their lagoon you know, probably five years ago, and it was incredible. You know, burst of fire little fireworks, water, you, you kind of get wet during it. Uh, free ice cream on top of it. That looks amazing. I'm not an ice cream guy, but the picture that was, and that picture's from an article from clickorlando.com, um, shows a push pop, and I can totally go for a push pop right now. Oh, yeah, it looks so refreshing, doesn't it? To have that in the, the central Florida, you know, summers, to have, uh, you know, something like that to, to help you cool down. Yeah, SeaWorld Orlando, completely underrated park, discussed it a million times. Um yeah, they also have the beer fest going on too. They mentioned that in the article. Uh, the all the uh, the Sea World parks, so all the Bush Gardens parks are doing it that same weekend. So Don, we're gonna have to discuss this, and this has been the buzz around the enthusiast community and the industry for 
several days now. Uh, Storyville Gardens, Nashville. Okay, the the picture that you that I put up on the screen is a screen grab from their website, uh, and it shows kind of like this luscious garden. And so Nashville apparently they announced this a year ago that they're going to build this park. They don't have property for it. Their website is kind of done, um, but they announced that they were implying that they were getting like a B and M invert on National Roller Coaster Day. Uh, Don, had you heard about this before, before this week? Not too much. I mean, you heard some, you know, rumblings that Nashville, you know, was a possible location for a new park, but uh, not too much until the week. Uh, I love the narrated uh, tour that they they had on YouTube there about it. Um, you know, just really immersive, and uh, the theming looks great. Uh, but you know, it's still like you said, they, they don't have anything acquired or anything like that to do this, but. Uh, you know, concept-wise, it looks amazing. You know, there are a lot of concepts that look amazing that rarely come to fruition. It's difficult to build a park from the ground up. You know, we're going to have to um, bring on maybe Dennis Spiegel or somebody from Jack Rouse Associates to talk about what it takes, especially yeah. in the United States, to do that. Um, because there's that uh, Adventureland Iowa. Uh, they, they're the latest park I can think of to open up from the ground up. Uh, and, we, you know, we've had articles about them having attendance issues already. Uh, before that was American Dream, uh, and that's had attendance tennis issues, and they're they're not running all the rides. Uh, and then the one that comes up to mind before that, and then that's this is stepping back a couple of years, is Hard Rock Park, which lasted two years. Hard Rock mm-hmm. Park then Freestyle Music Park in 2007 and eight. So um, it's very difficult to start a park in the United States. It's very expensive um, unless you're walking in with somewhere between 300 million and a billion dollars, depending on the market. Um, it's, it's going to be very difficult to check out. Um, do you, you know, they had Opryland there. Do you think Nashville is a city that can support a park? I mean, cause we're talking about, uh, it's about four hours from Bucky's. I mean, <laughs> Sevierville slash Gatlinburg yeah, slash yeah. Dollywood. Um, do you think that they could, could, could they get a million, million and a half visitors or whatever would be required to support the project? Yeah. Nashville has grown leaps and bounds since Opryland you know, close its gates. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think, it, uh, you know, it's, it'd be a great city, you know, for, for a, a park. That's one of the things that uh, I have a lot of friends that live in Nashville. That's one of the things that they say they miss, you know, since Opryland closes, you know, that, uh, that hometown park, you know? Um, so, yeah, I think, I mean, would the interest be there? Yeah. But it all comes down again, you know, you talk about the financing to, to build something like that, you know, just start, with land acquisition even to begin with it's uh you know it, it's hard to imagine it, it it going from uh you know this narrated tour to to reality just because of just you know what it would cost to build something like that yeah i mean even in a market like that where they've proven in the past that they at least 10 years ago 15 years well more than that almost 20 years ago now they could support a park like opryland um you know things change and it's not even necessarily that the city got smaller because it's certainly gotten bigger. It's grown, as you stated. But it's it also comes down to, did those people become loyal Dollywood people or Beach Bend people or Kentucky Kingdom people or Six Flags Over Georgia people? And then you build a park and it's kind of like, that's the diet version of what we have two hours away. You know, um, the concept art does look amazing. Um, I'm thinking that it that would probably be if they built it the way that they're kind of implying that they're going to, that would be a billion dollar park. Uh, it would be very difficult to finance that in today's world. Uh, interest rates are rising. So get your loans now. Um, but 
I would be a visitor, wouldn't you? Oh, absolutely. It, it uh, like I said, concept wise, looks amazing. Um, excited about it because of everything else that would have to happen. I think they said that they're going to open the coaster in like 2025 or so. Uh, don't place your bets because I don't think the park, if they broke ground today, the park wouldn't be ready in 2025. They, they would have to open it in phases. And then I don't know. I just, a lot of this just doesn't sit right with me. Um, but if, if it does happen, I'll eat my hat, but I'd, I'd be a visitor. I love Nashville and I would love to visit this park because it looks pretty, pretty darn cool. Yep, and I'm sure there's a Bucky's nearby. You know, I know there's in Tennessee on the way to Nashville, so that would be a good thing for me. Right, you uh, know, Ryan, like I said, it's four hours from the closest Bucky's in well that they're going to open in Sevierville. Right, Ryan, moving on to number five on the pick six, the theme park industry. It's always looking for the newest and best ways to enhance guest experience. And you look at uh, Universal Orlando, and they've got a patent that could change uh, themed rides. It's kind of special effects, uh, false surfaces is what they're calling it. Uh, it looks pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. I, I looked into this quite a bit, uh, you know, because it seems like um, Universal files a patent uh, about every week. So if we covered that, we could have a whole show based on it. But um, the way that I understand that it works is that it's going to use inflated airbags. So you, you can create a false floor or false walls and then have a prop hidden behind it. Uh, and then when it deflates, you can see that prop. So the closest equivalent I can think of is either D Disney's Philhar Magic in Magic Kingdom, where they distract you for a second and the presinthium around the stage goes up, making the stage much larger, or that last scene from Poseidon's Fury at um, Universal Studios Islands of Adventure, uh, where you're in a certain room and then you see a flash and then all of a sudden the walls had gone up in the air and you're in a different room. So yeah, they're going to be able to do some really cool things. They're going to hide the props behind the airbag. So you think you're looking at the floor, but you're not. You're looking at an airbag. Um, and then they'll distract you for a second, deflate the airbag, and put the prop there in a matter of a fraction of a second. So I think that sounds really cool, don't you? It does. It does. And it, uh, you know, like, you know, you, we were you know talking about the beginning there. It, uh, it definitely would uh, enhance the guest experience, you know, with, with these kind of false surface effects. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, very, very cool out of, uh, you know, Universal is really the one that's um, kind of exciting nowadays. Disney's always done stuff like this. And Disney's all like Apple where they file a lot of patents. They don't do anything with them in a lot of cases. Um, but Universal seems like they're very narrow-minded. And, like, this is the technology we need for a ride that we're developing. Probably for Epic Universe, if I had to guess. But that's really cool. So, yeah, good for them. All right, Don. So the story number six is one that's very close to most people uh, who are involved in the industry or are enthusiasts or, or whatever, you know, uh, and we're talking about Give Kids the World. Um, you know, they're having their Coasting for Kids fundraiser at Holiday World on August 20th. Um, Give Kids the World is an organization based out of Kissimmee, Florida, that allows families to go down there and have an amazing experience and visit some of the parks and stuff. Uh, and the kids typically have... Um, different medical conditions, which would possibly prevent this sort of thing. So Don, you've visited the village before. What can you tell me about it? It's an amazing place. Um, you know, events like the coasting for kids that they're doing uh, this weekend, and they've done it at parks throughout the country, you know, over the past several years, uh, the money raised from those events. I mean, it helps these families uh, have their vacations, you know, week long vacations down there. 
um, you know, these kids that, uh, you know, they're ill, uh, you know, them and their families just, just have the best week, you know, uh, when they're down there. Um, you know, a lot of times, you know, about the sick kids, but it also affects the, you know, maybe they have a brother and a sister and, you know, they're not able to do things, you know, because, you know, of the situation that they're in. So, you know, they also need, you know, a break like this as well. So, uh, you know, so coaching for kids is, is coming to a part near you, certainly, you know, sign up for it, raise money for it. Uh, it's going to go for, for a great cause. And, uh, you know, and if you're in central Florida, you know, be sure to stop by, get out, you know, you know maybe let them know that uh, you want to, you want to see the, but if you walk through their, the facility and you see the families and, and just enjoying the different activities and, you know, the, the places where they have the meals and the ice cream and the different characters and things that they have that are, you know, associated with, uh, you know, the village, uh, you know, you're definitely going to want to want to participate in these events. Yeah, uh, absolutely. It's something that's very near and dear to anybody that's involved in the industry. Um, if you want to have more information or possibly donate or volunteer, uh, you can visit their website at gktw.org. That's Give Kids the World, gktw.org. Right. Yeah, a lot of great people involved with that organization as well, Ryan. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, definitely, again, if you're, you're in the Orlando area, uh, you know, just make a call, send an email. I'll just let them know you're, you're there and you want to check out the facility and I'm sure to, to show you around. So Don, we're coming to the end of this episode this week and it's been a fine episode, but I'm particularly excited about next week. And next week we're going to have a special guest. And this guest means a lot more to most people in the industry than they realize. Don, who's next week's guest? It's going to be Jeff and if you don't know the name, you certainly uh, have uh, experienced a number of the attractions that he's been involved in designing. And if you have an interest in, you know, being an engineer and designing roller coasters and other attractions, uh, you know, you're going to want to tune in. You're going to listen to what Jeff has to say. Uh, just a great guy, uh, very energetic, uh, you know, has a lot of information to share with people who are interested in getting into the industry. And, uh, you know, we, we couldn't have a better guest for, for episode number 10 next. I completely week. agree. Um, and the thing about Jeff that I think is so cool is so many people aspire to design roller coasters and, and rides and stuff. Um, and Jeff is a real kind of rags to riches situation. He didn't grow up poor. He actually grew up near me and I grew up upper middle class, you know, or whatever, you know, but, um, he, um, he doesn't have family in the industry to my understanding. He went to, he was, he loved parks. He grew up going to Kings Island, um, went to college for engineering and then got an internship with, uh, either great coasters international or custom coasters international. I can't remember the time period, but it's essentially the same people. Um, and then splintered off making his own company and he still partners with great coasters international for a lot of their projects like Titan track and, uh, their trains and so on. So it's going to be really cool. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about his advice to anybody that's interested in becoming a roller coaster engineer. Uh, we're going to talk about um, the different projects they work on. We're, uh, the you know the the sky sky warp models, the Titan track, you know all that stuff that um, both Skyline and Jeff personally are involved with. Uh, we're going so we're going to have an extra special episode. If all goes well, we're actually going to record it in person with him. So not guaranteeing that, but it's probably going to happen. So we're really, really excited about it. Hopefully the audio will be really good because we got some help with that. But uh, you definitely have to tune in. Um, 
so since you've listened to the end, what we want you to do is, uh, again, um, at attractions under, underscore group, Send us questions for Jeff Pike. We, we, we're gonna, we'll ask him the questions that you want to ask. If you've got dying, burning questions, uh, he loves the enthusiast community. He loves answering your questions. He loves giving advice. He loves being a mentor. So send us your questions. Tweet them at us. We'd love to hear them. We'll ask him next week. Yeah, and again, it's an, epi- yeah, an episode next week that you do not want us. Uh, you know, if you just have interest in the industry, you want to hear uh, what Jeff has to say. They want to be an engineer and design these different attractions so uh, it's a can't miss episode next week yeah absolutely so anyway as always we really really appreciate you especially listening to the end um so again attractions underscore grp on twitter you can find us on your favorite podcast app such as spotify apple and google i almost said facebook i don't think facebook does podcasts i think they used to but they don't we're not on it if they do have it <laughs> but um and also if you on youtube you search for the attractions group podcast you can find the video version and again if you follow us uh you don't necessarily have to watch the whole video version but just go on there and give us a little subscription and then when we go live at some point and don cleans up his garage and gives away a bunch of stuff that he has no idea what the value is but you can turn around and ebay it for two hundred thousand dollars um, <laughs> that's not a guarantee, but, uh, you know, we'd love to, to have you. We want to make this as interactive as possible, but Don, as always, thank you for co-hosting this podcast with me and making me wear a Hawaiian shirt again today. And, uh, we'll see you next week with a very special episode. All right. We'll see you later. Thank you, everybody. Good night. Good night.